Coming up on Philosophy Talk, social reality. There is a question in philosophy, how does the world hang together? What is a social reality? Money, property, government, and marriage, they only exist because we think they exist, and yet they're objective. What's the difference between a social reality and a shared illusion? There's a fictional element in the creation of social reality, but it's not all fiction. Under special circumstances, you create a reality by representing it as existing. Our guest is famed Berkeley philosopher John Searle. The key question is this. How is it possible that we human beings construct an objective reality that only is what it is because that's what we think it is? Recorded in front of a live audience at the Marsh Theater in Berkeley, California. I'm a philosopher. I like to know how it really works. Social reality, coming up on Philosophy Talk. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Today, we're recording the program in front of a live audience in Berkeley at the Marsh Theater, the Bay Area's breeding ground for new performance. Our thinking originates at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. (laughs) Welcome, all you golden bears, to Philosophy Talk. Our topic today, social realities. Can social realities surround us? Think of cocktail parties, football games, bar mitzvahs, political realities. Think of clubs, universities. Think of cities, states, even nations. They are all social realities. You know, both parts of that phrase, the social part and the reality part, are worth focusing on, John. Let's focus on the reality part. All the things you just mentioned, They aren't figments of anyone's imagination. They're real, really real, objectively real. Well, yes, but still they're sort of made up, Ken. I mean, cocktail parties exist only because a group of people get together and say, this isn't just a group of people, this is a party. People just sort of decide that things exist and then they do. It's it's sort of magic. Well, it's not magic, but it is puzzling. I mean, because at bottom, social realities are just creations of the human mind. I mean, not individual minds, but collections of minds. You can't all by your little lonesome create a a social reality. Try it. Try to make yourself the king of Pupatanya. If you try that, you've just created a figment of your own imagination. But put a bunch of people together, let them exercise their imaginations together, let them agree, and presto changeo, you've got a new reality, a new social reality. (laughs) Pupatanya? Well, you know... (laughs) Okay, now that really does sound like magic, Ken. I mean, if one mind can't do it, why would two or three minds do any better? Well, because social realities are founded on agreement. If a bunch of humans agree to create a club, well, then there is a club. If a bunch of humans agree to form a nation, well, then there exists a nation. And although they're nothing but products of human agreement, they're still not figments of our imagination. They are as objectively real as rocks and mountains. Well, uh, they're pretty important. We're immersed in a universe of ever-changing social realities, and they play an immense role in determining how we live and how well we live. Well, right. Think of our earliest forebears. Their social reality consisted on their foraging on the savanna and being huddled in caves. Civilizations have risen and fallen since then, and with them, ways of life have come and gone. And now, throughout these massive changes in the social world, 
The biological and physical worlds have changed too, but not nearly as radically, and mostly in ways that are more or less direct consequences of changes in the human social world. Well, you're right. I mean, think of how profoundly barren the world would be without philosophy departments, but I suppose they're <laughs> just social realities. The social world affects not only the way humans relate to one another, but also how we relate to the more physical parts of the world, the biological world and the physical world. Science is really just a complex social undertaking by which humans collectively seek using realities like labs and universities and foundations to understand the physical, biological, and even the social world itself. A, a, a scientific understanding of the social world. Now that's an interesting thing. That sounds like sociology or anthropology or maybe social psychology. Well, we're philosophers. Why should we worry about the social world? Well, first, because there's this metaphysical question, just how real is it? And, and secondly, because we want to understand, how does it arise out of the natural world? Well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We started out by saying that social realities are creations of the human mind. Doesn't that suggest that the social world doesn't arise out of the natural world at all? Well, maybe to a kind of mystic like yourself, but to a hard-nosed person like myself, I believe human beings are ultimately part of the natural world. The power of the human mind to create social realities has its roots in human psychology. Human psychology has its roots in human biology, and biology has its roots in physics. Gosh, John, you're such a reductionist. Uh, we started out talking about the power of the human mind to create, almost out of nothing, all varieties of social realities, and now you're suggesting that it all comes down to the chemical processes of the brain? Well, it's got to come from somewhere. It's not just magic. And it's not just human either. Even animals have some limited power to create social realities. Think of ant colonies and the hunts and quests they go on. Well, you know, there's certainly a lot to think about here, John, and I suspect that we're not going to make much progress unless we, we get some help. But we've got the perfect person for that. Berkeley's very own John Searle, author of Making the Social World. And since philosophy talk is itself a social reality, we want the help of our listeners here at the March to help enhance that social reality. So step up to the microphones on either side of the theater to join us. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Zoe Corneli, files this report. Socially constructed realities are all around us, even in popular culture. Buffy the Vampire Slayer learned a lesson about the concept in the episode Life Serial. This is going to be great. On the TV show, she goes back to school with her friend Willow, but the class is a little over her head. Social construction of reality. Who can tell me what that is? Rachel. A concept involving a couple of opposing theories, one stressing the externality and independence of social reality from individuals. Good. And who can expand on that? Chuck. Well, those on the latter side of the theoretical divide stress it. I'm not following this too well. Oh, the trick is to get in the rhythm. Willow. Because social phenomena don't have unproblematic objective existences. They have to be interpreted and given meanings by those who encounter them. Buffy may not get it, but Willow has a point. We often create our own realities based on the communities we're a part of. A group used to be something different. We, we were connected by uh, geography and family and, and that sort of thing. Satirist Merle Kessler is fascinated by group behavior. You may know him as Ian Scholes, the 60-second philosopher. With the telephone, radio, movies, we became more separate. And with the Internet, I think, it gave rise to groups that come out of our own like little fetishes and obsessions and shared likes and dislikes that we formerly had to keep to ourselves, and now we find there's a whole community out there that shares them with us. Kessler has followed a collection of interesting and unusual communities, 
One is an offshoot of fundamentalist Christianity. It's called the Quiverful Movement. The name comes from Psalm 127. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. The idea is to have as many children as possible. And it's very patriarchal, and they've got their own like little business called Vision Forum, where they sell toys and inspirational books. So it's kind of like the Amazon of uh, patriarchy. Then on the other end of the spectrum... There's a group, well, it's a porn group, frankly, of about 500 people, and they're into watching women in high heels stomp on toy cars. Now, how do these people find each other? Kessler says what these groups have in common is members who have created their own collective realities. And there are many more groups, ranging from the sinister to the friendly to the weird. You go to Yahoo, there's all these groups, chat rooms, people that get together anything from um, Irish folk dancing to uh, Arabic wind instruments. You'll find a group of people willing to share those interests and and, and swap uh, tapes. And according to Kessler, there's nothing wrong with that. It stems from the desire to belong. These kinds of things are healthy, I think. Unless you're, you know, want to start a sociopath club or something like that. (laughs) But, you know, people have their own personality traits. And I think it's good to know that you're not alone, you know, so you're not, oh, I'm, I'm wrong. There's something terribly wrong with me. Oh, no, I'm not. There's another person who, who's like this. Oh, there's 50 of us. Oh, there's a thousand. Let's start an army or a chat group. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Zoe Corneli. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.